Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we have Paula Ferris, author of the new book, Called Out, on the show. Many of you know her from her time as one of the hosts on The View and the weekend anchor on Good Morning America. Anyway, you're going to hear more about that in just a second. Uh, her, like I said, her book, it's a good one. Called Out. Check it out. Uh, a couple things before we get to the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I was gone uh, for a little while. I, th- I think we maybe just missed a week or so on the podcast. Um, as uh, uh, some of you know, my mom uh, unexpectedly passed away. And uh, so I've been gone for a little while. Uh, I'm actually recording this podcast just about a day or two before I'm posting it, which is uh, kind of out of the ordinary. Um, I've just been so behind on everything, trying to get back to, to normal. But uh, as those of you who've experienced the loss of a loved one know, it's it, it's really never uh, normal again. It's uh, it's a new normal. And uh, so I appreciate all the sympathy. And I'll probably talk about it a little bit more as I kind of have uh, my feet back underneath me. It's, it, and I'll just all uh, seem so surreal and um, yeah just uh, there's just a lot there but um, thanks for all your uh, messages and, and uh, comments and uh, I'm sorry I haven't been able to get to respond to all of them but it's uh, it, it means a lot to me um, all those of you who've reached out so thank you for that uh, on another note uh, in two weeks, uh, my new book, Befriending Your Monsters, comes out. So there's two more weeks to get the uh, pre-sale incentive, which is if you go, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, if you purchase the new book, uh, click on this link and uh, type it in, uh, and you don't have my first book, God Over Good, uh, our publisher, uh, Baker, will send you a copy of my first book. So buy the second book now before it comes out, uh, before the 18th of May. And uh, fill out this uh, you know questionnaire thing that Baker has set up, and they're going to send you for free my first book. If you don't have my first book, th- like this is a no-brainer. You get two for one. If you already have my first book, then uh, my wife will tell you that uh, God Over Good is a great decorating book. I don't know what that means. It's, it's slightly offensive, but it's what my wife said. So um, two more weeks for God uh, before Befriending Your Monsters comes out. If you haven't got God Over Good, or even if you do, go pre-order the new book. Get the first one for free from Baker. So. There you go. And now, talking about a book that is from Baker Publishing, the imprint known as Bethany House, uh, Paula Ferris. She is uh, another Baker author, and her book is called out, and we jump right in. So here we go. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have joining us Paula Ferris. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Luke. It's a pleasure speaking to you from Austin. Yes. Wow. Look at you. You're a professional. Uh, And you are in uh, South Carolina. I'm right? in South, Ka- Not- South Kakilaki. Yes, I am. My South- sister's down here. South Kakilaki. Have you ever heard that that reference? No, no, I, no. I don't know where it originated from. I think it's more of a reference to North Carolina, North Kakilaki. Um, but yeah, people call it the Kakilaki down here. So my sister lives down here near Clemson. Yeah. And I, my family and I, we live in Westchester County, New York. And because of the situation with COVID and the kids being out of school and everybody working remotely, we decided to just take the family down here. Just come on down it's south. Great. Just do that. Yeah. Now, Enjoy one the thing, fun. Yeah. One thing you and I have in common is I was born in Philadelphia. And when I was a young man in Philadelphia, the Fab Five were gaining notoriety across the world uh, mm-hmm. because they revolutionized, not just college basketball, but like they were pop culture icons. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then at the age of 12, uh, with my beloved loyalty, the University of Michigan, specifically their basketball program, I moved to rural Southeast Ohio. And so I live in Ohio as a Michigan fan. Wait, wait, wait. Did you live in Chillicothe? Where did you live? No, I lived around- Rio Grande? Mar- uh, I lived around like Marietta. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. 
My dad actually worked in Parkersburg, West Virginia, a little uh, small Christian college. And we lived in um, like this small, like it's not even a town that we lived in. It was just country. That speaks to a lot of Ohio. I, I, yeah. I lived in Ohio for 12 years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lived I lived in Ohio for 12 years and uh, grew up in Michigan. So I, I can kind of like from the opposite spectrum, you being a Michigan fan, living in Ohio, you know, me being a Michigan fan and then going to school at a small Christian school in Ohio. I, I know that I know that feeling. Yeah. So a little you don't make friends. a lot of friends. Yeah. No, nah, no, you make no friends for sure. And uh, you survive, though. I did. I, you know, I lived in, even in Columbus for four years. Columbus is where Ohio State University is. And I would joke that I was a missionary trying to spread the good word <laughs> of the Wolverines. So that got me through. But it was also a different time. It was an era where Michigan was actually beating Ohio State in football because yeah, it was the, the, the Cooper era. Um, Cooper slash Lloyd Carr. So it, 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 you know, Michigan had the upper hand, but that is not the case now. No, if you're familiar no. with the rivalry, Ohio State is just thumping Michigan. It's not even fair. No, it's it's really not. And uh, when I moved to Texas and I married a girl from Austin, it was easy to uh, convert my uh, college football loyalties to the Burnham. I can imagine. For, for I, obvious I, I reasons. I mean, come on, the Friday Night Lights, right? It, oh, <laughs> the, the actual coach who um, the, the whole show is based on came to my alma mater, Avalon Christian University, to be their college football coach. The, the oh, guy wow. who coached Odessa Permium. And so, yeah, it was... Um, like they're friends of mine from there. Like it's very, very real. Wow. That's really cool. I, yeah. yeah. F- football is next level. Football is like a religion of its own in Texas. Yeah. I, I married a, uh, a daughter of a high school football coach from Texas. Okay. And so like my bench press max was disclosed early on in that in- <laughs> <laughs> initial conversation with the father-in-law. So, you know, yeah, we're, I like, guess we I really care. we're not so worried about your character or your heart. We just want to know how much no. you can press. What's your best yeah, press that's, weight? So. That's the important that's thing. So good. That's the important that's thing. good. Yeah. So you, uh, Ohio, you say for 12 years? Yes. I, I was born and raised in Michigan and then I moved to Ohio for college and I ended up living there in Ohio after college. So 12 years total, Columbus, Dayton and Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So. And then you, then you ended up in New York. Now everyone, everyone knows you from your work on on TV. And can I tell you this? We just need to start up front. Um, I've done this before with other guests. I just need to rip the bandaid off. Uh, you know, um, the presiding bishop Michael Curry, who did the royal wedding. Yes. You know that guy. He uh, he was at my church and using our facility for something. So I did a podcast with him, and I told him I was like, hey. The real way, I didn't watch it. It was really early in the morning. We can still be friends, can't we? But I didn't, I didn't watch it. And so with you, I need to say, like, I don't watch TV in the morning. And okay. it, can it's we still right. be friends? Yes, absolutely. We're probably going to be better friends because of it. Because when people say, oh, I've watched you on TV, my response is usually, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I literally apologize for people who say, oh, yeah, yeah, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry you listen to that. Why do yeah, you apologize? Because yeah. I do the same thing. I don't know. It's just maybe um, it's uncomfortable. I, it's as weird as it is like to work. Yes, I worked in the spotlight, but the spotlight does make me uncomfortable. But it didn't feel like I was in the spotlight because you're talking to a camera and you're not you're not like in a huge crowd. So it's a different type of it's a different type of connection. It really is. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a pastor and I've been preaching to a big empty room with a couple cameras for the last six or seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's such a weird experience because in some ways I I'm talking to a camera and I really don't feel like people are, I know they are, but there's a sense like I'm kind of by myself doing this. 
Yeah, you want, I, I understand because most pastors want to be, they want somebody to shout them down. They want to, they want, they want to be affirmed that people are paying attention. Amen, pastor, come on, preach. And nobody's mm-hmm. doing that, right? So <clears throat> it is hard to engage. The thing that I tried to focus on is just having a conversation. So making sure that when I'm speaking, um, at, you know, in front of the camera, that it's very conversational and just pretending like a good friend is on the other side of it. So don't, not picturing a thousand people because that's, that's not, it's easy, It's hard to make and difficult to make a connection that way, but you can make a connection picturing like one of your close friends on the other side, imagining a conversation and a conversational tone that you're, that you're taking, um, throughout in your case, your sermon for me, it would just be my script. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. I feel like maybe, uh, you should uh, do a, just like a one-on-one on preaching to a camera for all of us who are trying to figure that out. But that's good. Okay. So here's, here's why though I want uh, you specifically on the podcast. Cause I've gotten uh, a few books in the mail about, you know, people in your line of work who have, you know, a book that kind of intersects with, with my world of spirituality and Christianity. And what was so unique about yours is the trajectory of your career. Like everyone has a book about this is how you get to the next level. And this is what, uh, you, you know, God can do in your life to get you to a bigger platform, but you take the, the downward trajectory. And I'm like, this is like, this is like central to Christianity. Like God becomes human. Jesus, you know, goes on the cross. It's all stepping down and you're willing to write a book about stepping down, which I found to be so fascinating. So that's why I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's, it seemed a little crazy um, at the height of my career where I really felt God was asking me to take this step down. It sounded crazy to me and it really sounded crazy to people within the industry and a lot of my close friends, even Christians that are like, why would you give up this big platform? And I said, because I am burnt out and my values are clashing with my choices. And what good is it if you know a man gains the world but loses his soul in the process? And I felt like I was doing that. I, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my three children was suffering. I wasn't attending church as much as I wanted to. I wasn't involved in church. My health started suffering. And then I went through uh, you know, a season of hell, which I write about in the book. And that's when God really got my attention and said, I, I got to save you from yourself here. Because mm-hmm. if you continue on this path, yes. Um, professional height, yes, the height of your career, yes, the, you know, the world is your oyster career-wise, you're going to lose it all. Profe- you're going to lose everything that you hold dear or profess that you hold dear personally. Yeah. So in the, in the book, uh, Called Out is the title of the book, you, uh, you tell the story of you're having burgers and fries with this big wig at ABC, James Goldstein. Goldstein, right? yeah. He's Goldstein. the president. He is the president of the network, the president of ABC News. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be real honest. The only thing I really understand about that world is what was depicted in that uh, Jennifer Anderson, Reese Witherspoon series. So I, <laughs> like, I'm assuming that's not, uh, that's not perfectly uh, accurate. So anyway, so he's like there one of your boss guys. Par- he- there are some parallels. Yeah. So I'm, I'm meeting with the big wig and I'm telling him that I'm going to step down. That no, I'm going to okay, step away exam- from my two dream jobs. Okay. The other example was from Russell Crowe's uh, <laughs> movie on, uh, or like a uh, series. Was that- was that morning, morning something? It was like, no, nah, it was like the Fox News story, according to Showtime. Okay, anyway. yes, I know. You I'm know, just people saying. I'm, people listening are probably like, hey, idiots, this is this is what you're talking about. But the two of you can't articulate what it actually is. We're going to go back and I'm going to have to go look it up right now because I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. It's killing me. But uh, I mean, I, I get that basically every week in podcast sermons. We're like, hey, idiots, <laughs> this is what you should be talking about. Okay, so I'm, what I'm saying, like, I, I don't get your world. But you have this lunch. Uh, burgers and fries, you step down from your two dream jobs. And then in the book, you said that you, you leave and you have a sense of freedom. But the second thing you said was that you have a, a loss of identity. So yes. freedom makes sense 
describe the feeling of this identity that's lost. Sure. Well, if you think about it, Luke, even in churches, you mentioned it, you know, we're told to move to the next level, to use our God-given talent to find our purpose and to lean in and to, to go after our calling. And it's always career related, isn't it? Like our, our purpose is somehow intertwined with doing. Our purpose is intertwined with career and with work. And so that's what I did. I leaned in hard to those things, to what society told me to do and to what church told me to do. And I burned out. And um, when I walked away from those, those two dream jobs, I wasn't expecting to feel this loss of identity. I didn't know who I was outside of what I did. And that's where I write a lot of the book is, you know, this pressure for, for, for us, especially in the faith communities. Um, you know, we buy this, this lie that our value is vocation and that our worth is work and that our calling is our career. And the moment there is a shift in career, the moment there's a shift in vocation, which by the way, is inevitable. Our purpose and our identity are rocked because that's how we see ourselves. That's who we are. I was Paula Ferris, the anchor of Good Morning America weekends and coast of The View. And all of a sudden I wasn't. So I didn't know who I was outside of it. So it was this process of trying to find out like what my true purpose and calling on this earth are um, outside of doing what, you know, am I more than what I do? Is my worth my worth? Because that's what I'm being told. So it's this discovery process of, of, you know, it's my story, the story of others. I conduct a lot of interviews in the book of people who have misplaced their significance and how to find true purpose and true calling that doesn't move and shake, whether it's a personal crisis and doesn't bend and break, whether there's a pandemic like the one that we're in right now. Yeah. uh, The great Catholic thinker, Henry Nouwen says there are three lies that we're tempted to believe. I am what others say about me. I am Mm -hmm. what I have and I am what I do. And the idea of I am what I do is this idea like if if I have success, that means I'm good. I'm doing well because I am what and to step away from that, it, it tears apart like part of the, our core identity for so many of us. Oh, my so gosh. I, yeah. Yeah. That's and so, so I, I love I love the way that you you differentiate um, calling. It, mm-hmm. you, you write the book like every pastor talks about calling and every speaker. And I came from like this weird sect of Christianity. Like we just didn't talk about calling. Like it wasn't part of our vernacular. Yeah. Oh, and man. I do. We talk, yeah. my pastors talk about it all the time. If it was yeah, a drinking game, you'd be passed out drunk <laughs> in like four seconds. So, honestly. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, you're a Hillsong person, right? You're at uh, yes, I am. Connecticut. Hillsong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hillsong yeah, we, got, we got a lot of love for Hillsong. We had uh, Joel Houston's been on a couple times. Carl's been on uh, a couple other Hillsong people. Christine Kane's been on. So, I, 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 oh, I like, Christine's I like, awesome. I, know, I, like, yes. I, I respect all of those people, but especially Christine. <laughs> but if you had to rank them, Christine's your favorite, and then yes. Joel or, or Carl. Yeah, and like I, I don't know. Like, you know, that's that's like asking me between to determine my favorite child. And I say I Joel's, have a favorite child, but it depends mm-hmm. on the day. Like, whoever's being nicer to mommy is my favorite child that day. So. I don't know. I'm, I feel like Joel's got better hair. But, you know, who, who's to say <laughs> what what's most important? Um, you know, it's funny. Carl was on the podcast once, and he said uh, this was like two years ago when his book came out. And he had just been on the View, and there was this thing about um, oh, I like asked him what he thought. Of, it was like abortion, wasn't it? Like they they brought up that. Yes, and you know what? I was supposed to be there, but you know the reason I wasn't was because I it was after I write in the book that you know I was hit in the head with an object right before I went live. I had a concussion, and I was knocked out of work for three weeks. And that's when Carl Lentz was on the View, so I wasn't there, and I felt terrible because. You know, it was it was a tough question to be asked um, in the first place, considering he was there to promote a book. But, um, 
Yeah, it was it was just an it was it was unfortunate. It just was. Yeah. So, and I, I know that he if he could have gone back, he would have changed maybe the way he articulated his answer. But it was a tough question to begin with. Yeah. So you get hit by a car in your minivan three weeks after that concussion. Isn't that right? Okay. So, so I, I, you know, I, I knew God was was stirring in my spirit to, to ask me to step away from these two dream jobs. And at that point, like I felt that stirring, but I was too scared. Fear, my fear had paralyzed me. I was scared of what I was walking away from. People would think I'm crazy, that I couldn't hack it, that it was a failure. Um, and it wasn't until I went through a season of hell. So within seven months, Luke, I had a miscarriage with an emergency surgery. It was actually the miscarriage was happening when I was interviewing Sean Spicer. Um, then I have a concussion at work. Someone throws an object at my head, knocks me out of work for three weeks. The day I got cleared to go back to work, I get in a head-end car crash. Then I get influenza, which turned into pneumonia. And that was seven months of my life. And it was in that personal crisis. Um, that season of hell, which I write about in the book, I knew God was unequivocally trying to get my attention and saying, if you don't slow down, I'm going to force you to slow down. And he really did physically. He forced yeah. me to slow down. And that's when I said, okay, I waved the white flag. I'm done. I'll step away. I know this now, is crazy, but I'll do it. As a professional uh, who went to seminary, let me give you another option. Could it be that Carl sent that car to hit you? that he was mad that you weren't there for the interview. Did you ever think like that could have been a possibility? Okay. Maybe not. No, I, no you know what? It. Now you're talking about now this has turned into a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm just so. asking just options. Okay. But before that, so you're supposed to be there for the interview. Here's the thing that Carl said. It's, it's been two years and stuck with me. So we do the interview soon after that. And he makes a comment to me and he says, I know who they want me to be. And I, he said something to the extent of like, I know the role they want me to play. Or I know who they want me to be on that. And obviously, I'm not going to ask you to speak for him because he can speak for himself. But you've been in that situation where you come from conservative background. Uh, the university you went to is Baptist-ish, yep. something like that? Yeah, General Association of Regular Baptists. I went to Cedarville as a small Christian school, liberal arts school in Ohio. And I'm not Baptist, but... Yeah. You know, I, I, but, I really like the university. So Yeah, so you're kind of a conservative person brought into this. Uh, Carl says they want him to play a role in that. I can imagine you felt that you were wanting to, uh, to, to fit a demographic, to like kind of check a box of, we need this kind of voice here. How do you feel that pressure of, I'm in a room and they want me to play a certain role, and do I live into who I, I am? Do I get mm -hmm. typecast? Like, how do you balance that? Well, I think it's so important. I, I felt the toughest part for me about working at The View was not so much um, feeling ashamed about my faith. I was never felt ashamed. And I felt like they always embraced my faith where I came from um, and my perspective on that. It was talking about politics because when I was doing The View, Luke, I was still anchoring Good Morning America weekend. And so I'm a news anchor. And I am not allowed to give my political opinion as a news anchor because my, the most important thing to me and to the network is that I maintain my objectivity. So the toughest part for me is they asked me to do this job, but they said, you can't give your political opinion. And so I felt like I was walking a tightrope where as a journalist, like I want to, I want to bring a voice to the table that isn't represented, but it couldn't be my voice because I can't go there because I'm supposed to be objective. So that was the toughest thing for me. I did feel unabashed to talk about my faith and give my opinion on faith issues and family issues, um, et cetera. But yeah, the, 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 it was a challenge. I felt at any moment I could say something that would ruin my news career and ruin my objectivity. And it just became really, uh, you know, the viewers um, have come to expect 
women disagreeing and disagreeing um, about political issues. And that's like, they should expect that they've come to expect that. And they should expect that, you know, strong opinionated co-hosts. And it was tough for me because I just felt like I couldn't go there. And it wasn't my choice. It was my, the instruction that I was given, but it, it felt in many ways like a failure because I couldn't go there. Um, and I, even though I, I, in many ways I wanted to, but yeah, I was like serving two masters, like the news masters and then the, the entertainment masters. So at yeah. ABC, it was tough. It was challenging. Yeah. It, yeah. Two different, uh, two different jobs as a pastor. I feel like it's my responsibility, uh, to, to not be partisan with the, with what I do. Cause I, I want to lead a church that makes space for people on every side of the issue. And mm-hmm. I, I think there are issues that we're, we're standing up for and talking about, but, but to become partisan is something I feel like is, is not the calling that I have. And so I, I can imagine that tension of one job, you have to do the same thing. And the other job, they want you to be kind of uh, very opinionated and they, they just don't, they just don't go together. Yeah, and so yeah. amidst- it's like oil and water. It was like oil and water, honestly. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. And so in this tension, it's almost like you have to understand like who you actually are because people want you to be poured into one mold, which you're like, but I, that's not the mold I want to be in. Is that the tension you found yourself in? Like going back to this yeah. is where my ultimate calling is. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I wasn't sure. And I, I think if I had, I had really prayed about the situation, maybe it wouldn't have been the right fit for me. You know, I say, you know, you're being vocationally called to do something when you're good at it when you love it and when other people notice you're good at it and you love it. And I don't think you have to check all three of those boxes. And I don't think I could have said, you know, confidently that all three of those boxes were checked for me, but also it was, I I don't, I don't regret anything. Okay. Because I've learned so much through my mistakes and my failures more so than my successes, but it put undue pressure on my family life because it was then where I was working full time during the week. And then I was working weekends still. So Saturday and Sunday mornings, when most people are resting, I was getting up at three, three thirty for Good Morning America, and so I was burning the candle at both ends. But I was doing it all uh, in the name of this calling on my life, right? Oh, for the platform, for the for the betterment of Jesus Christ. But uh, in the same vein, I I was uh, you know watching my family life suffer. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's so often uh, connected that? you know, God's calling for you is connected to platform and uh, like to have a, a big presence and to have a big following when Jesus constantly is like getting less and less followers until after the resurrection. And yeah. that, why do you think the, like we baptize the American dream so much? I, I think it's just, it's, it's what society tells us. And I think unfortunately the church buys into that, yeah. that, you know, calling is career and that, <clears throat> excuse me, that calling is career and that that's where our worth lies, that we are not more than what we do. I mean, we ask our kids from a young age, look, people are probably already asking your daughters, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? As if implying that that's their only value. That's the only thing that they're going to bring to the table one, one day is doing. Uh, what's your name? What do you do for a living? We can't separate the two things. And so that's just, it's, it's part Western culture, it's society, it's systemic. And unfortunately the church kind of follows that, that lead. And we need to get to a point where like for the church, where we can say your purpose has nothing to do with doing your purpose on this earth is to love God and love people. That's it. For me, I thought my purpose was to love God and love people, but to be the best broadcaster that I could be. And that's just, 
So my purpose was tied to doing and your purpose cannot be tied to doing. Your purpose is why you're here on this earth and it's never going to change. And it's solely to love God and love people. And then you have a vocational call on your life, which I write about in the book. I really felt like God revealed we have this faith calling or a purpose in our life, which doesn't change. Um, But we have a vocational call, which can and will change. But the vocation is just the vehicle by which you're going to love God and love people. That's it. It's your, it's the conduit. And if you look at like a vine and a branch, your vine is your purpose to love God and love people. That's your faith calling and your vocational calling. A healthy vine has what? Many branches. God can, God can ask you to branch out in a myriad of different ways, but knowing that your vocation has to be flowing from that purpose of loving God and loving people. That's it. That's it. That is it. So that for me was um, really just a, a great message from God of being able to separate my calling from my career to re- and, and to really contextualize calling to say we have a faith calling, which won't change. And it's our purpose. And then we have a vocational call on our life, which can and will change. Don't get too tied to it. Because if, if you if you wrap up your identity and purpose in doing your identity and purpose in this platform, in this status, in your career, then the moment it shifts, you're not going to know who the heck you are anymore. Yeah. Right? And it becomes about you and what you're doing and not who you're doing it for anymore. Yeah. Uh, you said a second ago that uh, you imagine my daughters were constantly asked, what do they, what do they want to do when they grow up? Uh, which, of course, they are. And I assume your three kids are going to get that same question if they haven't already. How would you how would you want to teach or coach your kids up on how to understand that? I, you know, I, it, this has been so great because I've caught myself asking my, as I was writing the book, I caught myself asking my kids what they want to be when they grow up. And I said, you know what, I'm going to stop asking you that. I want to ask you, who do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what kind of person do you want to be? And you focus on, yes, the talents and gifts that God has given them that aren't going to change, but, but also like characteristics, character, integrity. My daughter's like, I want to be a forgiving person. Like that is who, she, that's the kind of person that she wants to be. My son's like, I want to be athletic and, um, you know, and active and I want to be generous. So like living in, living in that instead of, you know, living in who they are instead of what they're doing. That's what I'm trying to encourage my kids. And I tell them all the time, I say, I don't care what you do for a living. I want you to love Jesus and I want you to love people. And remember that wherever God may lead you, and he can lead you in a a myriad of different areas, that you are placed there to love God and love people. Okay, not to like win all the awards and get the accolades. And that may actually happen. That may be a byproduct, but that can't be your focus. You're going to be placed there because God gave you unique talents and gifts that he wants you to use specifically to love God and love people. And I tell my kids as well, when it comes to like school, I, I honestly don't care what your grades are. I want you to be able to look me in the eye and tell me that you did your best. And if your best is an A or if your best is a C, that's fine. My, my daughter said, mom, I wish you'd put more pressure on me to do better in school. And I was like, well, I'm not going to, because I'm more concerned about the type of person you are, who you are than what you do. One of the things in the book that you talk about as uh, this obstacle that you had to overcome is this fear of failure. And so mm-hmm. early on, there's things that you don't want to do uh, from drama to other things that you don't want because you're afraid of failure. Do you think when our identity is so tied to our uh, success in these sort of like vocational callings or these aspirations that it puts undue pressure on our performance in them? Oh, 
a hundred percent. Absolutely. Because the focus becomes on us, right? The focus is on doing the focus is this is my identity. So that's why I feel so deeply connected to it, especially when I fail at it. Um, and I, you know, I, I think we're all hampered by fear. It's not something that, Oh, I, I was healed of that 10 years ago, or I conquered that last year. If fear is part of the equation, Luke, how many times has God meant? I mean, you're the theologist here. God mentions fear, I think 365 times. Doesn't, doesn't he? So I don't know what, how, what's going to happen on leap day, you know, that one day that we're yeah, not going to have. Your own. I know you're on your own. Your own. Um, but God mentions fear throughout the Bible, acknowledging that it's there, but also commanding us to press into it. I, I love that verse. The verse that has helped me throughout my quote unquote career is from Joshua one, where, um, you know, God's asking Joshua to take down the city of Jericho. And he's saying in the same way I was with Moses, I will be with you. You know, so when God calls you vocationally to something, you have to believe he's going to equip you, but you have to take a step. You have to expect and anticipate fear to be present. You can have a peace that you're supposed to take down Jericho, but you can still be scared as hell about it. And God says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be scared. Don't be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. That for me is like God is going to be there for me, just like he was with Moses, but he's commanding me to press into my fear. He's acknowledging that I'm going to, that, that I'm going to be scared and be discouraged, but he's saying, don't be scared. Don't be discouraged. Have I not commanded you? And then he promises me that once I step into that fear, that he's going to be there for me. I just have to take that first step. We have to take that first step. Fear and a peace from the Holy Spirit can and do coexist. So we have to stop fooling ourselves. Oh, if God was in it, I wouldn't be scared. No, fear is from the devil, people. You can have a peace in your spirit from the Holy Spirit, and you can still be scared as hell. And that's usually what happens, but it's on us to take that first step. God just wants us to circle sometimes. Uh, he wants us to circle Jericho seven times. I don't know why obedience refining us. Sometimes we feel like we're circling, but then we have to take that step and he's going to be there and he's going to meet us. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, that there are different branches. I need branches. you to give me an amen. Okay. I, I, I'm going to say, let me, I'm saying, hey, give me some, have some patience. Down. I was, I have some patience. I was getting there. Okay. As I was saying, there are different branches for your call. I feel like one of the branches could be preaching. Cause I feel like that was a pretty good sermon right there. No, 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 no. Uh, well, you could. Here, here's the thing. Here's, I mean, we can get back to that, but I do think that opens up a great discussion about not seeing yourself so one dimensionally. Like I saw myself mm-hmm. forever as a broadcaster. I don't know if you've seen yourself as like a pastor for the rest of your life, but we've got to get to a point where once we realize that our worth isn't tied to doing, that our worth isn't work, that God can use us based on our gifts and talents. Um, and it, vocation can be seasonal. He can be calling us to stay home for a while with our kids. He can be calling us back to the workforce. Um, he, we can branch out and we can try new things. We are not one dimensional. I'm not just a broadcaster. I'm someone who's curious and I ask a lot of questions. My nickname was Paula 20 questions. I think I communicate pretty well with people. I connect and I champion people. And guess what? God can use those gifts and talents, just like you have unique gifts and talents and people listening, you have unique gifts and talents. God can use those on so many different branches. We have to stop. We have to stop selling them short. We really do. Okay. You're a preacher. I'm just saying like, as a professional, I can see it. You should be doing this. And so next time, like we should get the Hillsong guys on the phone, get Christine to schedule you. Come to Austin. We can get you preaching. Maybe, so. maybe a speaker, not so much a preacher. Oh my god. What's gosh. the difference? Come say hello to my husband, John. This is Luke. I'm doing hey, John. 
this is what's love. up, man? He can't hear he put, you because I'm wearing AirPods. Um, he asked, "What's up, man?" What's going on? She asked for a fountain drink. I got her a fountain. I drink. texted him. I said, "I need a fountain drink." I mean, this is love. We've been together 25 years, college sweethearts. I need. I don't want just a soda in a can. How many I years have you been married? 20 this year. Look on the cup. Look on the cup. What number is on the cup? John's a romantic. No, he's not. He got you one ounce for every year. (laughs) (laughs) An ounce for every year. That's what it is. That's a sign of real love. That is is so, that is true love. Mm -hmm. Here's this. He's an Mm all-American on the court and Uh a hero in your heart. Look at that. He's just a wonderful guy. Way to go, John. Oh my gosh. You were just going there. I was just in the midst of like rebuking you from calling me into preaching because, hey, but again, when God calls you to do something, he equips you. And I do think God speaks to you. And through trusted people in your life and can well, lead you in that direction. So scriptures, and, and books, I'm, songs, uh, you're not I'm the trusted person. I no, am. I don't, I don't trust you yet, but Why I'm not? just saying like, I do. We've trust- known each other for 40 <laughs> minutes. I feel like I should have accrued enough trust for you to say yes. <laughs> okay. I do think God speaks to you though, through songs that you've heard a thousand times. And, and that one day you're hearing it differently. God speaks to you through scriptures and sermons, through trusted people that you do life with. Podcast hosts. Podcast. He speaks to you through books, podcasts, you name it. So through dreams and visions. Um, you're you're yeah, changing it's, the it's, subject. I'm. You should trust me. I. This is true. Like you have the ability to do this. You should be doing it. Okay. Can I just tell you um, the one interview that like revolutionized the way that I look at vocational calling? Once I was able to separate faith calling and purpose from vocational calling. Yes. Okay. So here's how you find out what you should be. If you, if you like, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing, like based on my talents and gifts. Um, this is what you need to ask yourself. And you have to check all three of these boxes. Are you good at it? Do you love it? And do trusted people in your life notice that you're good at and you love it. Okay. It's not enough just to be good at it, Luke. It's not enough just to love it. You have to be good at it and you have to love it. And then trusted people. Yeah. People have to confirm it. And it's not like, Oh, you're a good broadcaster. It's what makes you a good broadcaster? I was just inter- I was doing an interview with a podcast host and I asked her these questions. She, she said, well, I think, you know, she's like, I'm a counselor and I'm a podcast host. I'm an author. And she's like, I think what makes me good at those is I'm a listener and I'm an encourager. And you look at, you peel back those layers. She's, she's good at listening. She loves it. And she, she's good at um, encouraging people. And she loves that. And people notice that those are kind of like gifts and talents of hers. And look at how God's been able to use those on different vocational branches. So you should peel back the layers of your life and ask like, okay, uh, you know, and, and I think once you do that, it just gives you the permission to see yourself outside of that one thing. You are multidimensional. You're not just body, your body, soul, spirit. Um, you are multidimensional and God could use your gifts in so many different capacities. Don't sell them short. Just well, don't do it. Real thoughtful for you to talk about another podcast and say how great they were when you're talking to me, but that's cool. Whatever. That's fine. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Second thing is the, uh, the trusted thing that the, the, uh, the language in seminary that they use is communal discernment. And if you're being called to ministry, do you have a gift, do you have a passion for it? But then is there a communal discernment of, of the voice of the community saying, we affirm this in you. So it's mm. th- the same principles, what you're talking about. Uh, when I started preaching, I was at a little country church in West Texas. I was 18 years old, 18 or 19. And this uh, small hunting town of like 200 people uh, had me come preach at their church. The church is like 12 people. And there's a sweet lady. She's like 86 at the time. And I finished a sermon and she walks up to me and her name was Audrey Brooks. And uh, she has this 
you know, bent over postures, you know, 86 years were due to someone. And she hands me this check, which was for $50, which was a lot of money to me. And she said, it still is a lot of money to me. And she says, Luke, you can go as far as you want in this. And I look back and go, that was my call to ministry. Like I had this person say that we see this in you. And my youngest daughter, who's named yeah. Audrey Brooke Norsworthy, uh, oh, her name amazing. is a constant reminder. Like this is like, you don't get where you are unless you have people that, like you said, you trust, you respect, you value what they say, speaking yes. life into you. And that, that is a classic example too, of like, not just expecting God to show up in the clouds with a deep baritone voice, like with the angels singing, God's speaking to you through people in moments like that. And I think that that's beautiful because so often we, we expect God to speak in one way and in one voice. And he speaks through, he speaks through his people all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to say this. It's me speaking to you right now. Obviously you're called to be, if you're called speaker, fine, whatever, but you have the ability to preach. So you need to do that. I'd like to see that happen. Um, and I am that baritone vo- <laughs> kind of bar. If we, if we change the pitch of this, maybe it's baritone. Okay. Uh, but we've already established that we've established that Carl Lentz might've sent the car that mm-hmm. ran into your minivan. We've um, established that, that Joel Houston has better hair than Carl. Although I would maybe disagree with that. And Laura Lentz, Carl's wife would probably have a big problem with you, with you making a statement like that. Well, whatever. Just going to say it. Just going to say yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Come at me. That's fine. They know where I live. I'm in Austin, Texas. I'm not running. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not running away from a basketball player like that. No, I'm not going to do that. You had, uh, can I tell you, you have a story about Jay Williams uh, in the uh, 10th chapter of your book and his story. So he's this superstar basketball player from Duke, uh, drafted number two overall by the Bulls, uh, was this All-American, everyone thought he was going to be the future, has this uh, motorcycle accident, which any sports fans like, dude, why do you have a motorcycle? Mm-hmm. So like, such a dumb decision. Yeah, and yeah. his story has always been, so compelling to me because how do you find someone who who can forgive themselves? Because he he blew a, an amazing opportunity. He blew it. That's what that's he he told me. And of course, like he had Michael Jordan's locker for God's sakes. Okay, he was the next coming. His at the end of his rookie year, um, he said right after the accident, he was like shaking his hands and banging it on the ground, saying, "I threw it all away." Like he knew that this was on him. Um, to, to, to see where he has come and to see the life of purpose that he is living now. Um, that was one of the more powerful interviews because again, like we can have this vision for our life, but God can redirect it. And sometimes God goes through great lengths to redirect. Like he went through great lengths to redirect my life. He went through great lengths to redirect Jay's life. Jay saw himself as this one thing as a basketball player and look at, I mean, the areas that have opened up for him through this tragedy, of course, but like, he's a speaker, he's an author, he's a broadcaster. He has a huge platform. He's helping, you know, underage kids, like God is really using him in a different capacity. But he said it took a long time for him to reconcile. Why me? And then he started asking God, hey, why not me? Why not me? And for me to like that, it was such a 180. And it's so powerful. Instead of asking yourself in that moment, when you feel like God is just um, you know, allowing things to happen that, that are ruining you and like changing, but, and you feel like your life's falling apart instead of saying, why me to get to that point where you can say, why not me is so empowering. Yeah. Jay's story is like one of my all time favorites. And I interviewed him on my podcast too. Uh, my faith podcast that I do for, for ABC and yeah, his, his story just gives me, me chill bumps. It really does. And to see God redeem that situation, 
I mean, they said it looked like an IED blew up his leg now and that he would never have children. Now he has a daughter uh, with his wife and God has just not only restored, but like, I mean, just blessed him beyond measure in a new way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And just to see the resilience that God has given him mm-hmm. has been an encouragement, even from afar, just someone who's a fan going, wow, that's, that's yeah, amazing. He's pretty awesome. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask a couple of business questions here. Uh, first, yeah. you do uh, obviously TV spots, which are shorter interviews compared to the long form you get to do mm-hmm. on uh, a podcast. Uh, give me your uh, experience of comparing the short kind of stuff that you have to do for TV compared to longer form interviews. Oh, yeah. TV's pain in the and uh, TV's a pain in the butt. I almost said the bad word. Sorry. TV, you, you will cut that out, right? TV is no, a pain in the butt. No, I was. Paul Ferris say, from the View says TV is a pain in the ass. Uh, you heard it here first. TV is a huge pain in the butt because you think about all the work that goes into it, like from producing and from booking and shooting and editing and like the research and. And then it's like two minutes long. All of that work is for a two-minute piece or a three-minute piece, or if you're in it's studio, a yeah, it's it's a soundbite. So that's the beautiful thing about this sort of format is that you can have these really wonderful organic conversations that aren't edited and aren't chopped up, and you can cut like for listeners, it's like they're in the room; they feel like they're a fly on the wall because you're leaving in the the warts. You're leaving in the fact that I almost just used a profanity and I asked you to take it out, but you're not going to remove it from the conversation because it kind of adds to the authenticity of the conversation. So it's a totally different format. It really is. It's hard for me to, to watch like a a late night interview. Uh, Obviously your interviews are perfect and I can watch those all day long. Um, Never had a critique. Which means he's never watched one of my interviews before. Like I said, I've never had a critique (laughs) of any of your interviews, but I can listen to you talk to Max Lucado for 30 minutes and go, Oh yeah, this is great. It's very like, it it feels natural. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. The interview you did that your kids were most impressed with you for was which one? Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars and Avengers. How about say Marvel? I interviewed I interviewed the Avengers, so that was a group interview with Scarlett Johansson and um, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Jeremy Renner. Um, um, uh, oh my gosh, Robert Downey Robert Jr., Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. and Paul Rudd, and then the Star Wars cast doing you know interviewing the Star Wars cast. That was pretty cool too. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but my I kids, had, uh... but but they, my kids may have been impressed by the interview, but make no mistake about it, they were not impressed with their mother. No, 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 not at all. Mm-mm. No, yeah, my kids. No, that's true. How old's your oldest kid? Twelve. My daughter's twelve, and then my savage sons are ten and six. No, not twelve. Yeah, it's hard to impress. If if I had a Black Widow from the Avengers, I think my daughters would be impressed with me for about a minute. And Scarlett just... Johansson. Mm-hmm. My husband was impressed. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that one. He's he is a big Scarlett Johansson fan. I mean, but show me a red blooded male that's not. She's gorgeous. She re- as my as my mom would say, God did a good job on her. I was going to say she has a good personality and she's very intelligent. But you, you don't can, know you, that though. Hold on, I got to get up. You don't know that she's so upset that Paula just got up and left the screen. And uh, what she's doing right now is she's going to go online and she's going to order my. Hold on. No, I just. Had, really, I had to I'm feeling dead air. You're, 
What are Hold you- on just a second. You know what I'm doing? I have to plug my curling iron in because I didn't know that the interview is- that I'm doing after this was going to be okay. on camera and I have my hair in a ponytail and Jen. I'm looking a little haggard. So I, this, see, this is the That's type fine. of thing you don't have to deal with, Luke. You can just show up in a black t-shirt and comb your hair and you're fine. Like women have to put a lot of time and effort into it. It's unfair. It really is. This is this is basically what my hair looked like when I woke up this morning, to be honest. Um, and it's a black V-neck, not a T-shirt. But sure, if if you want to minimize the sacrifices I made for this, that's okay, fine. Okay, okay, okay. It's a T-shirt, though. I'm telling you what style T-shirt it is. It is a V-neck. A V-neck isn't a classification of itself. You're, it's still you're a T-shirt. A black it shirt falls, it, it's a T-shirt, but it falls under the umbrella of a T-shirt. Te- technically, it's like that's like saying you know, like a Kleenex is just a tissue. It's like a specific, whatever. We don't have to debate that. I think you would be a great preacher. I don't know if you'd be a great fashion person because you don't know the difference of a t-shirt and a, and a V. No, 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 no. I know my lane. Uh, not a fashion person. I can't dress myself or my house. When I did the view, okay, the, one of the greatest things about the view was they dressed us because I can't dress myself. And they would get us designer clothes, which I don't know the first thing about. I, I literally have no idea um, I, I, you know, I thought Givenchy was or pronounced Givenchy instead of Givenchy. All right. Um, I thought Manolo Blahnik, it's Blahniks. They're apparently like a really popular and expensive shoe. I called them Manolos. No, I called them Milanos, like the cookie Milano. Like, you know, the oh, those Milano are good cookies. cookies. I like yeah, those. I kept yeah. saying, I like these Milanos, but they're like, no, they're Manolo Blahnik. And I, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the first thing about fashion. My dear friends at Ever Eve send me a bunch of stuff and help me. And I believe in them. They're a wonderful uh, Christian organ and Christian fashion um, company. And they help style me because I can't dress myself. I really can't. Left to my own devices, I'm in a sweatshirt. Well, most days. It, it, very functional. And yes. we're glad that uh, you have those friends keeping you uh, yes. dressed because you have to have clothes on. Everyone does. Yes. And uh, good, good for you. We, we would hate for that to be a problem because <laughs> with TV and all that, there's ratings <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, okay. Speaking of clothes. Okay. Last question here. You yeah. said uh, early on when you're doing sports that you had some guy who made a lewd comment about your only way to be on TV is. Uh, yes. Okay. Does that really still happen? I don't think it happens much. I mean, we're talking almost 20 years ago when I was first okay. getting into sports. And I, I, um, yeah, I was getting into sports, um, working in Dayton, Ohio. And one of my colleagues said that the only way that I would make it is if I showed my chest. And he didn't use the word chest. So, um, yeah, that was unfortunate. But, hey, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I wasn't going to allow what one person um, said about me to you know, to deter me. So you're always going to have haters. And I tell my kids, haters, it's more indicative of, of who they are than who you are. And they're most likely miserable or just discontent. And that this is the only thing that makes them feel better. So I said, you should actually, you know, I should actually feel sorry for these types. We should actually feel, feel sorry and pray for these people because yeah. um, they're doing this out of insecurity and misery. Mm-hmm. So true. Okay. The book is called out. It uh, It's available now. It's out right now, right? April 21st. It's out. Oh, mm-hmm. it, it's been out for like a couple of days now. Yeah. My yeah bad on it's, that. Been, it's been out and it's out on Audible. I narrate the Audible version. Um, yeah. Kindle, um, hard, hardcover. And we're working on a tele, like a telepathic type of um, style 
of a book where I could just like send it out into the, into, into your, the, into your into, brain. Yeah. Through lasers and people can pick it up that mm. way. You know, what's weird is that my publisher is the same one as yours. And my book comes out a couple weeks after yours and they haven't offered the telepathic uh, form of communication for my Well, publisher. see, that was my idea. That's why I brought that to the table. Uh, That's my own unique take on it. So you thank you, Bethany house and imprint of Baker books. So I yeah. uh, appreciate them uh, <laughs> not helping me out, but uh, it's been fun. Thanks for, thanks for the time, Paula. Thank you, Luke. It's been really fun. And you Good promise you're gonna, you're gonna edit out all that all the all I'm, the I'm not no. I'm kidding anyway. It's fine. You said ass. I thought you were talking about a donkey. No, I thought I you said, said ah, I did not I didn't finish it. <laughs> I didn't finish it. I, I thought promise. you 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 were on a farm in South Carolina that literally had farm animals that Okay, work. that's true. And then you talk about like Jesus, you know, riding a donkey, yeah. also known as and, what? Also, a donkey can also be referred to as, yes. Delbert? Oh, an ass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. That's right. You've got something else to go to. Stop talking. I do. Okay. Yeah. Hey, God bless. Thank you for the support of the book. <laughs> and um, yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me, can on Instagram. I'm there it is. finally figuring it out. Where will Where will people see you preaching? That's next? not happening. Like, you want to at a church. Why not? I don't know. Listen, if God you wants should. that to happen, then I will... Ah. Press into my own fear, and but God has to open some of those doors as well. I have a I have something on my wall that says I'm a master of divinity according to my seminary. So I am officially <laughs> representing that to you. That's what you should be doing. Okay, we'll if it up. happens, we'll get you to if, it ha- if it happens, happens, I'm either going to thank you or blame you. One of the two. I, it's usually the second with me, but we'll take it. All right, Luke. Bye, friends. Looking forward to your book. Can't wait to read it. (laughs) Get out of here. Go. See ya. Bye. See ya. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norris. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.